What's up, everybody? This is Chris Kane here with the Unofficial Therapy Podcast. My girl, Raquel. Raquel, give it up for the people one time. Hi, guys. Why are you giggling so much? Hi. Hi. Um, people always do that when they first get on. It's like <laughs> once the camera starts rolling, everyone gets all shy. Before we got on, she was talking all types of shit, just like talking about the culture and yada, yada. And as she gets on, it's like, um, and uh, please go to my website at... Um, <gasps> Uh, That's like a Terrence Howard impression. <laughs> hey, man, um, come on to my, uh, 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 yeah. So, so Raquel, you have an interesting cultural background. Tell the people about. I what, sure do. Yeah. Um, so I'm half Persian, half Lebanese. Ooh. Uh, so I grew up in a very, I would say, more traditional um, family. Traditional? So, like, I guess, so I'm from Florida, so I don't uh-huh. really know a lot of either culture. Can you, like, give us a background on what that means to be traditional? Um, Very conservative. So very strict on curfew, um, how you're dressed. It's pretty much your your walking advertisement for your family. So if you look bad, it's a reflection on your family where they think, uh, you know, if you're, let's say, dressed a little too... Skanky, there's a whore, <laughs> and then your family raised the whore, and and then your parents have a bad reputation in the community, and all that good stuff. So if your if your fingernails go past your skirt, that's <laughs> it. They pretty much throw you out. Yeah. So you just gotta be a little bit more conservative, and um, you're you're just everyone knows whose daughter or son you are, and it goes back to that. All right, so let me ask you, because I'm from the South, where people wear what they want. And so if you want to be a hoe, you can be a hoe in high school. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody there to stop you. But let's say your personality is non-conservative and you grow up in this household, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you reconcile who you are versus what your family wants you to be? Well, that's exactly what happened with me. <laughs> <laughs> Raquel in these streets, baby. Uh, <laughs> Because I don't like to be conservative, and I'm, I don't consider myself traditional at all. Um, so you you got to find, like, a fine line. Um, you do enough to shut your parents up. Oh, boy. But then you still do whatever you want, but in a respectful way. So did you – all right, I've seen this on TV. I don't know if this is a real thing. Did you wear one outfit at the house, and then when you got to school, you had that backup outfit that – is what you wanted to wear? No, I didn't, but the skirt got rolled up a little higher at school, so okay. you just make adjustments, or I'll wear a jacket walking out. Then you take that jacket take off, the, and it's like, bam! That <laughs> take that shit off. Leave it in the car, and yeah. So is it, is it like you like playing a role around your folks and just being, being that, or is it, like, I guess, how does that, how does that flow? Like, do you, like, start... Sip, like sipping, not sipping, slipping out non-conservative stuff. Like, hey, mom, dad, I know I'm getting a little older. I know you guys want me to wear a turtleneck every day, but I just, I got cleavage now. Can I just put a, <laughs> I got to put a little bit inside in the streets? How do you like, you like show them little pieces of your individuality, or is it just at home, button up out in the streets, flip the switch? No, no, no. So, you just do it gradually. So that it's not like a super, like it's not shocking to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one family party, you wear a little bit shorter. 
dress and then this next year it's a little bit more open and this not and then eventually they'll they're not um overwhelmed by it eventually you say um, mom dad i'm a stripper pretty uh, much i need y'all to support my dream exactly <laughs> exactly and that's when you get kicked out but you just you have to like ease your way into that stuff so i just kept pushing my limits where they would say something but then i would ignore it Right. And then just push it more the next time and more and more until I just kept doing what I wanted to do. So now they don't bother you. You can just wear whatever you want. They'll still make comments, but I don't listen. I don't care. I don't let it um, affect me. You got to look fly. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> so speaking of that, so you still live with your folks, right? I do. So how does that... <laughs> so I'm talking about being a child and like going to high school and blah, 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 mm-hmm. wearing clothes. Now you're an adult. Mm-hmm. You got a job. You're out here you know, with adult people. But you still have to go home to that, that rule mm-hmm. and that, you know, those customs and stuff. Like, how does that work as you get older? Because you want to you wanna be more independent because you're older and you want responsibility. But you live at home. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you balance that, that whole thing? It's hard because they still try to keep that control. They try sure. to hold that against, like, on you. Um, but you just have to keep fighting it. And it's a daily thing, you know, of, I don't like that lipstick you're wearing. Like, change that. <laughs> it's too dark. Like, you look goth, this and that. Or, um, you know, you you just have to, like I said, you do enough to respect their wishes. But you still remind them that you're an adult. And so... They try to, um, you know, still treat you as if you're in high school, but you just have to constantly remind them that you're an adult. And like I said, just push the boundaries as much as possible. And then slowly, they'll get the hint. Slowly. Not that it's working 100%, right? but you're trying. So I moved out at 18. Um, I don't know what it's like to be like an adult at my parents' house. Mm -hmm. I imagine it would be awkward to date somebody as an adult and then have to, like, bring them home to see the folks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you had any awkward, hey, mom and dad, this is so-and-so experiences? Uh, it's always awkward. Because oh. I'm just trying to, like, not even just hang out. But it's like, you got to meet my parents because you're walking through the front door. So you can't really hide it. Like, you can't hide that you're dating someone. They somehow will find out. Um, when they're sitting in the living room eating their chips. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, and you're just walking by and you're like, okay, go to my room, bye. So it's, it's hard. And then it's like, okay, if you don't bring them home, they still know you're out. And then they want to know who you're out with. Like, you can never just be like, oh, like, I'm going out. And be like, who? Where? What time are you coming home? When, where, where why? Yeah, what area are you going to be in? All right. So all that stuff. So could you, so let's say you are dating somebody mm-hmm. and your folks don't approve, mm-hmm. which I'm sure has happened at least once. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you like, because they can just be like, I don't want that person in my house, right? Like they pay the bills. So do you just sneak around? Do you go to the other person? Like how do you, how do you play that game? They can. They, my parents don't do that. I know that there are people that do. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are not that bad, but... I don't let anyone tell me who I can and can't date. That's one thing that... Ooh, rebel. Yeah. 
that's one thing that I don't, I will never, I will always stand by, like, who I want to be around. So, but for the most part, that's why I don't like to bring anyone home. I like to preferably go to them. So if someone else lives at home too, that's already we gotta oh, cut boy. that shit. Cut I mean, that, that sounds like a double deal breaker. Yeah. Where you stay, mama? Where you stay, daddy? Yeah. Well, listen, we're not gonna do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna meet you at the in the back alley and yeah. we'll figure this shit out. So it's it's a little hard when you know you're dating someone that's at home, and I get that, you know. But at the same time, um. It's something that I can't necessarily change because it is a cultural thing, you know. That's, see, that's the part that... That's why I wanted you to come on because I know a lot of people don't... We don't have the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know what that experience is like. And in in, in a lot of black culture, it's when you get 18, you get the fuck out. And if you come back, it's awkward. It's like, oh, yeah, you still stay at your mom's house. It's like mm-hmm. this, like... The sign that you did that you you failed in some capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you you started a job and then you laying on the couch, out working like six hours at like the Little Caesars, mm-hmm. coming trying to put something on the light bill. Like, it's it's real. It's it's an awkward exchange. Mm-hmm. And so for you, it's like, even if you wanted to leave, they want you to stay, and it's yeah. almost frown, it's frowned upon for you to leave. Right. Right. They they don't want you to leave until you get married. Like even if you're engaged you're still technically not allowed to leave. So, because... Not allowed. Because, especially for a woman, like, you just get labeled. That, like, oh, why'd you move out with a guy, let's say, Mm. um, but you're not married yet. Then you're a whore. So, that's just how they look at it right away. It goes straight to, like, oh, she sleeps around. It's like a scarlet letter in 2018. Pretty much. Hey, mom, I got new keys. Oh, so you're a whore now. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, <laughs> pretty much. So it all kind of goes back to that because the community talks. Like, sure. especially the Lebanese, I mean, just Arabs in general, like, they gossip and they talk. So you have to watch what you do because then it'll just be like, look how the mother raised them kind of thing. Like, it goes back to that. And so your parents never want to have that reputation. Sure. So it's like, you like even if I, I'm standing outside of my house, because I live like in a um, neighborhood where it's literally everyone around me is Middle Eastern. So I'm standing outside talking to like friends. I literally get a text of like, come inside the house because it looks bad that you're standing outside talking to guys. And I'm like, because mm. they think like the neighbors are sitting there staring at me, like spying, like, oh, look at that whore just standing outside talking. Y'all, y'all use the word whore so loosely. Yeah. And that can be this, like, I'm taking out the trash. Whore. <laughs> There's, like, a word for it in Arabic, so I'm just, that's, I'm translating it to that. Fair but. enough, because I don't know if any of my listeners uh, speak Arabic or yeah. Farsi or anything like that. Yeah. But, so I'm going to ask you this hmm. hypothetical, and maybe there's no way if you know this answer. Would it be worse in your community if you were a stripper and lived at home, or if you moved out, but you were, like, a model girl before you were married I mean the stripper part is pretty bad but you still stay at home though well they you wouldn't come let home? you stay at home if they knew that oh okay they would not let you do that and if someone found out that that's what you did like you lied about it mm-hmm. um your ass is getting the getting kicked out for sure 
So you can't move out. You can't be on the pole. Yeah. Yeah, no. Can't do anything. You just have to be a good, good girl, find a husband, and then you can leave. Because once you find someone, then they're like, oh, like, no one's, like, looking to be interested anymore, so she's off the market, so there's no pressure on, like, our family's reputation. Like, oh, she found someone, so that means right. she's a good girl. So it's all that stuff. So I imagine, is divorce not an option? Because um, given how that works, because if it's, she's off the market and she's married, now you're back on the market, it's like, oh, she must be on the whole shit again. Yeah, it looks, it looks very bad. People don't necessarily take someone that's been divorced. It's very rare. So once you get divorced, you, you got to live at home forever then. You can't get married well, again. Well, at that point, some people do go back home, but then it's just, it, it looks bad. Like, you're kind of frowned upon in the community. Like, oh, they didn't make it work or whatever, this and that. And there's gossip. And, but for the most part, like, the older generations, they're, they never divorce. They just, they continue to live together, but they won't talk. But they will not leave. <laughs> you sleep downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I have family that they just, they don't talk to their spouse. And they just, they'll still cook for them and, like, leave the food on the table and walk away <laughs> to the other room. <laughs> hey, babe, how was your day? <laughs> Love you. Bye. Yeah, no. It just, they don't do that. They just technically separate, but then they're still living together, but... Divorce is, that's something that's starting to happen more so, like... As you guys get progressive. Mm-hmm. So, you rather, they rather you be unhappy in a loveless marriage and mm-hmm. sleep in a den while she sleeps upstairs... Yeah. ...that you be happy and alone. Yes. That's Because awesome. people don't know that you're unhappy. They just think, oh, they're married or they're fine, they're still together. Right. So, but then that still looks better on the outside, Right. I guess that's that's a cold game. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, can you, can you can you grab your wife's hand? Who? <laughs> <laughs> like your wife? Oh, <sighs> I guess I can. Yeah, it's very awkward if you see them like taking pictures at like a wedding or something, and they're just they're standing like back to back by double oh seven because they don't want to touch each other. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So it's, if they divorce, it's like. Oh shit! Was really bad for them to divorce. So, how what's the policy on interracial shit? Um, a lot of families are not okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> so if I so if I showed up, you know, I'm dressed in a nine mm-hmm. sex symbol. You see it, and you're like, "Mom, Dad, this is my uh, Afro uh, Caribbean <laughs> uh, prince." guy and I'm like nice to meet you I'm well spoken I'm educated whatever they're just like nah nah <laughs> dog you joking you can't come in here no not like that okay. they just be like what the fuck like shocked right but like my parents are very accepting of like whoever uh, me and my brother want to date mm-hmm. they they don't care because they had to deal with a lot being Persian and Lebanese. Like, they dealt with that because gotcha. my mom didn't marry some Lebanese and my dad didn't marry someone Persian. So they understand it more. But, like, my aunts, uncles, like, they'd be like, who the fuck is this? Like, because they just want you to stick to your culture because it's familiar. So 
Yeah, so if I show up bumping some rap, mm. giving them some slang, being like, let me show you how to make some chitlins real quick. And they're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, that's the first impression that, right. you know, like, that's that's their judgment. But then once they get to know people, they're, they're chill about it. But it's that initial, what the fuck is this kind of thing. But, like, like me, I said, like, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Like, I would... I would bring in whoever I feel like I want in my life. Yeah. And I wouldn't give a shit, like, what people say. And I I would be, like, choosing the guy over my family so if it came down to that. It seems like the younger generations are the ones that progress faster. So, like, for, like, you and your groups of friends, mm-hmm. dating outside of culture probably doesn't... It's not as no... The stigma is way less... But, like, your parents and then their parents are just like, yeah. how dare you sell your name yeah. by bringing this super sexy chocolate dude around? <laughs> I'm just speaking about myself. I don't even know the rest of the black dudes. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is, my, this is my boyfriend, Darrell. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what the? Yeah. Like, so. It's actually Daryl, but it's okay. <laughs> you can call me what you want. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it really depends. Like, yeah, the older generations, it's yeah. like, they just, they don't agree with it because they always want you to stick to someone in your culture because they think that you have a higher chance of making it work because mm-hmm. they understand each other. True. Like, if you were to go to a Lebanese wedding, you'd be like, what the actual fuck, like... That's who, what I would say. Who are these psychos? Like, because then you don't know the music, the vibe, the food, this and that. So it's very different. And it's hard for people to adjust to that because... Our culture is so strong. At the end of the day, like, if you, if I see someone that's Lebanese, like, out on the street, like, we're automatically, like, we're connected kind of thing. Do you so, know what I mean? And so... You're on Team Lebanese. Yeah. That's, that's a real that's thing. That's just how it is. Like, we, it doesn't matter if you're a stranger or whatever, like, you will take care of that person kind of thing just because of that. So, culturally, like, we're very strong. And so, it's sometimes a little intimidating or a little too much, you know, for someone else. To come outside the culture. That, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So we got a little background about the culture. Mm-hmm. Africa. We know where you came from. We know about your people, the lineage. Let's get more into the person. Mm-hmm. You. What makes you tick? What's what's your if you had to like make a dating profile, mm-hmm. let's say you're on Tinder or some like competition to them and you were like, This is a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. What what would you tell somebody? A little bit about me. About you. I don't know. This is not about your folks or about, mm. like, your culture and all that. This is, like, you individually. Well, I always identify myself as Persian-Lebanese. Like, I, that's the first thing that I always tell someone. Okay. Um, to get them to get them nervous. Like, hey, if you can't put up with one, <laughs> two's going to be a lot rougher. <laughs> Pretty much. No, but it's because that, that's my identity. Okay. Like, everything that I do stems from that. And so that's kind of my foundation. And then I will go into, you know, my passion, which is my job. That's what we're doing. I'm, I'm, we're trying to get information. <laughs> You're talking around like, this is the skeleton of what I'm, I'm asking you what you would actually say. I, I don't want the skeleton of it. So your I, passion is? Training. All right. How'd you get into that? So um, I got into it. 
because of my past. So I have struggled with an eating disorder in the past. And I never felt like I had confidence when I was a kid. Um, And so I wanted to make a difference for people and remind them about their worth. And if I could do that by building their confidence through exercising and nutrition, that's kind of, that's the goal for me. I want to incorporate fitness and nutrition so that I can help boost people's confidence so that they feel better about themselves. And especially females don't have eating disorders because that affects you mentally. So it's, it's a whole thing of physical, mental, emotional. That's how I approach it. So it sounds like you're attacking the physical part to then trickle back to the mental part. Exactly. Do you do, what kind of coaching do you do? Like not, the fitness side is, I think, probably self-explanatory. We mm-hmm. know what training consists of. The mental part of it. Like do you, do you share your experience? Do you share, do you have like a checklist of things you go through? Like how do you do the mental part of it? Because I'm sure, I assume you can program well for like fitness, but... Like you said, it's a mental thing. So how do you right. how do you attack that part? Um, I start by sharing my experiences because if if I'm training someone, I want them to understand like my background and how I feel about it. And so by me talking about myself, they will feel more comfortable to open up and talk about themselves. Sure. So that's usually my approach and I don't I don't force them to talk about anything that they're they don't want to but it comes naturally you know once you start doing sessions and whatnot they'll just start opening up naturally and I'll kind of you know use that to learn more and to understand why because I mean yeah people are working out to be healthy and to look good but why do you want to look good for who is it for yourself is it for someone else are you trying to feel better about yourself are you trying to impress someone um are you just you know worried about your medical issues like because maybe you lost someone a certain way and you're trying to prevent that so there's a reason why people work out and it's not just a surface level of um oh like i just want to look good kind of thing sure so I've always wanted this. Do you find that you confiding in other people and helping them through their issues in turn helps you like deal with because obviously like you've come to grips to this part of it, but if it's a mental thing, it's never like really gone. It's just kind of like suppressed, right? So do you feel like you get better the more times you do this with someone else and you feel like you're coming to better grips with your own, um, I would say issues, but that's such a kind of word Mm -hmm. but let's just say that for the the lack of a better word Mm -hmm. um yes and no okay in a way um because I deal with like confidence issues it's like that when I see I can help someone that reassures me that I have a purpose and then so that's how I feel better about myself is being knowing that I can help people Mm -hmm. and maybe make a difference for someone else um, 
no, because I, at the end of the day, like, I'll go home and still deal with my, my issues. That is something that I've been dealing with since I was a toddler. For as long as I can remember, I've been dealing with it. So it's hard to kind of change over nearly 26 years of, you know, that mentality. Um, but it's a process. And I feel like slowly I'm possibly getting better. But I don't know if um, I'm necessarily helping myself with my issues by helping them. 100%. Interesting. So, like, this is a thing that I think most people can agree on. A lot of people are good at giving some kind of advice. A lot of people aren't as good at taking advice. So, when you're when you're talking to someone who's going through these issues, you don't really see yourself. You see them as who they are. Mm-hmm. And so, you're helping that person through it. I know when some people are giving advice about, like, struggles and those kind of things, they see themselves and someone else. Mm-hmm. And so when they're helping someone else, they feel like they're helping themselves as well. Right. But if you see them as just a separate entity, mm-hmm. then you can't you can't you can't take that transference kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like so I, I think that's maybe what you're going through a little bit where I help that person, all right, they're fixed, but I'm fucked up. Right. Not like we're going through this together mm-hmm. and we're evolving and getting better in it. So I don't know, and there's no like, yeah, thank you for summarizing that part to what I just said, but it's more like me trying to mentally come to some conclusion about what you just said, because what you're doing is noble and it's necessary. And it would, it would lend a person like me to believe if you're doing enough of this, it's like if you had some kind of uh, mental addiction, let's say like to heroin or something. Because you used to be a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. So when I would help a new heroin addict, I would know the lows of being on heroin. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I'm trying to save them from the lows that I got to. Mm-hmm. And so that would almost keep me in check because if they're going to relapse, then I would, you know, it would kind of go back and forth. So in your case, it seems like you, you've found a way to separate those two worlds, which is probably good for you emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it hasn't translated into a ton of growth on your own end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, I guess, the next challenge would be for you. Right. I agree. I would love for it. I would love to take my own advice. It's easier said than done. Um, because, yeah, I have people that take it and run with it. And it's I change their lives. You know what I mean? So that's rewarding. But then I have people where... I can't, I can't change it, you know, and that's something that I think you need to work on by yourself, but at least you have, like, a mentor, you know, like, so I don't have that, I don't feel like I have that mentor to reassure me or talk to me or this and that, so I like to be that mentor for someone, so I can't mentor myself because I just go to the negative thoughts. Sure. Essentially, you're providing the service you need in your own life right. for other people. Exactly. So they don't become like you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Tie that in. I was like, okay. That's interesting. So, like, how would you... So it seems like you need some kind of mentor, then. That seems like... 
obviously the quick version of this, but mm-hmm. how would you, I guess how I don't know how you would go about finding one. Would it be you don't go to like the yellow pages? I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, that's, <laughs> I need a mentor. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. Hi. <laughs> Can you help me? What is? I don't know. If that would be like some kind of like rehab kind of thing. I don't know. If that would be like a therapy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it would seem like you would need you need a Raquel in your life. Mm-hmm. I try to find, you know, mentors through who I connect with, mm-hmm. friends, coworkers, family. Um, but at the same time, like, no one. No one just uh, added the goodness of their heart just casually, you know, like, hey, let's just take this hour and, you know, talk about Raquel and see what she needs. So it's more so like I'll go to them and be like, oh, I need something. But with my clients, like, I feel like I... I'm like, what do you need? Like, what can I do for you? Sort of Mm. thing. And then that's how I build that relationship and make that connection with them and feel like I'm their mentor in that way. That makes sense. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot there. I'm trying to figure a path going forward. So what is it you think you would need to have the breakthroughs in your life that you provide for your clients and, and on the other side of it? Like, is, is it a singular person? Is it a community of people? Is it an experience? Is it mm-hmm. just personal growth? Like, what is it that do you think will get you over the hump? You say you've had, like, incremental mm-hmm. successes and growth, but you haven't, like, reached the plateau. You say some of your clients, their lives are different. Like, mm-hmm. they're confident, walk around in horror clothes and stuff, which is always awesome. Give it up <laughs> to them. Um, and then some, like, kind of relapse and stuff. What do you think it would take for you to get over that threshold that's holding you back now? Experiences. Just personal growth comes through experiences. And so having a support, whether it's a single person or community, either one, I think, can help depending on if it um, strikes me. Like, like, how do I explain? Depends, like, the impact that it could produce for me. So whether it is from a community or just one person, I can't really tell you what I need. Mm -hmm. But I do know that I need to work on myself and my growth. But that's only going to happen once I I have to just keep getting confronted with situations that challenge me. And that's the only way I'm going to grow. So I have to have these lows in order to grow. I believe that. So I guess the question is, is you can't put a number on it, um, but it's how do you gauge whether you're growing from the lows you're having now? Like, is it a, how much time does it take me to recover? Is it how negative do my thoughts get? Like, how do you gauge whether I'm better in this situation now than I was in the last bad situation that happened? It's a good question. I know. I said this podcast is on point, baby. Because <laughs> <laughs> there has to be some metric, right? If, if, right. if like, like fitness is a good barometer for it. I'm stronger now than I was then. How mm-hmm. do you know? I can lift more weight. Mm-hmm. If you can't measure it, then it's, you know, it's kind of flimsy. It's just kind of ephemeral kind yeah. of thing. But right. if you can say, 
let's say I broke up with someone and then I was heartbroken for six months and I broke up with someone and it was mm-hmm. three months, then I got over it in twice the time. Right. And so I can say at least maybe I came to grips with that process faster the second time around. Right. So maybe I'm better at processing losing somebody. You get me? Yeah. I think it is recovery, just seeing how fast you recover. Um, I think, like, if you... How do I explain it? It's a tough one, Chris. Gosh. I mean... So... The whole, part, the whole point of this is to get you to ask yourself some questions you probably yeah. haven't asked yourself. Yeah, which I haven't. So I just think, like, I'll know based off of if I'm having more good days than I am bad days. Because if a certain situation happens where, you know, it puts me, like, in a funk or whatnot, I have to see, like, okay, did it take me, like, two weeks to recover? Did it take me a day, an hour? Um, and then, because like you said, like it used to take me months and then now it's taking me less time. So that's why I know like I'm getting stronger in that aspect or I'm not letting it interfere with my daily life where I'm constantly thinking negative thoughts. So I think that's just how I know is if I'm waking up and I'm like, I feel okay today. Like, okay, I felt better than I did yesterday. So there's, there's my progress right there. So I kind of take it day by day. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, that's your process. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes sense to you. That's what. That's all that matters. My approach and my, I don't know, mantra or whatever, is that it's, it's moment to moment. Mm-hmm. I think day to day is a big gap of time. It's 24 mm-hmm. hours. It's a lot of time mm-hmm. that happens in a day. And because my background is comedy, I try to make as many moments happy and comedic as I can. Mm-hmm. Right, so you, there's, but there's obviously lulls. I may lose a client. I may have a bad set. Something may happen in the family. You gotta kind of deal with those kind of things. But I don't. I try not to let any one moment destroy so many subsequent moments. Like this can be a bad moment in and of itself, and so we'll let that be what it is, and judge that on its face. Mm-hmm. But my next moment doesn't have to be bad. Like if I have a bad session with this client, I don't have to have two more bad sessions after them. I can just have that one bad session in that moment and then the next session is marginally better and then the next one after that is better than that. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is something bad can happen and it spirals and then everything after it becomes bad mm-hmm. for a certain period of time but it doesn't have to be because the subsequent bad moments are reflections of the bad moment that just happened mm-hmm. but they're not separate bad moments. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so if, if I can say that's a bad moment let me deal with that by itself this is a new person new interaction I'll try not to bring that baggage into that interaction mm-hmm. and so that kind of keeps the evenness and if it's a really really bad moment then you may need to spend more time on it obviously but that's the whole thing with like relationships oh I had a really bad relationship before never dealt with it I meet someone new and I bring all that to that relationship. Mm-hmm. And now that relationship is bad because the other one was bad. Right. When I could have just dealt with the first one. All right, one bad relationship, met somebody new. This is kind of a clean slate. I still got that baggage, but I'm, like, processing it. Mm-hmm. And if so that's how I try to live. And that's why I'm generally in a decent mood. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I was mad an hour ago, but it's, it's a different hour. Mm-hmm. It's 2 o'clock, baby. 
that was one o'clock's problem. Right. And that's that's what keeps me sane and keeps me happy. That's a good way of looking at it. Well, you know, it works for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it didn't work. I don't know if most people can do that. I don't think it's everyone. Some people just need to like spend a weekend crying. Some people. Mm-hmm. Just get off. They just wash everything off. Nothing sticks to them. Right. The worst moment, the best moment, it's all fleeting. For me, it's moment to moment. So for you, it's, it can be weeks, it can be months, it can mm-hmm. be. It is what it is. But we all have different ways of coping and processing stuff. This is what works for me now. I was at one point I was like you, mm-hmm. when I was a little bit younger. Um, something would happen. It would just knock me on my, knock me on my ass for weeks, months at a time, and I would just be like in this funk and like this little cloud will be over me mm-hmm. and people finally started saying listen we don't want to be around you you got a cloud man like, you want some sunlight mm-hmm. and you just like <laughs> that's my sad voice <laughs> <laughs> hey guys you know uh, it's not always it's not always sunny outside and it's like why why are you bringing that energy here man like yeah. we get it you going through stuff we all are but mm-hmm. you know don't ruin everyone else's time and then that kind of made me think if I'm around my friends, I want to have a good friend time. And then when I'm not around them, let me reflect on myself. Right. And then it, it's kind of built over time as you get more and more mature mm-hmm. and more experiences and all the things you said. You say experience is a, is a teacher, and that's what allows you to know how you're growing and how you're developing. But you got to go through stuff to, like, develop and grow. Right. Like, move out the house <laughs> or be called a hoe. <laughs> That would be great. I feel like, and again, I'm, this may go against your culture. I think you guys should try a trial move out. Just like just throw it to your folks. Hey, man, just let me get 30 days. <laughs> I'll just do like a, a month-to-month like kind of apartment that someone is like out of during the summertime or something. Hey, let me just, I'm not moving out full-time. I'm not in these streets for real. <laughs> I just need, I just want 30 days Yeah. by myself. And just let me see what it's like to... Be in my own skin because I I have this theory that when you as long as you live at home, you'll you'll never fully grow to the person you're supposed to be because you I know, think. like let's say you lose your job today, you mm-hmm. know you still have a place to go back to. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad got a house, mm-hmm. so I got a house. Mm-hmm. If you don't cook, mom, you cooking? I got food. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's 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 something there. If you if you live on your own and you follow the job, you're like I better get back to this job or to these streets because mm-hmm. these bills don't stop, mm-hmm. and that it makes you dig deeper and it makes you like grow because right. you have to and so I'm, I'm putting it out there I don't know that you can even do that I don't know if the whole neighborhood would be like you know I ain't seen Raquel in a couple of weeks maybe she out in the street I don't know how y'all gonna <laughs> how they talk behind your back but I think it's an idea where we'll do it for 30 days and I'll come back and I think you'll learn more about yourself in that 30 days than you would you know in a year being at home right. just because it's just you I agree I mean, you want to talk to my parents for me? And no, no, no I, don't I don't know them. I don't know them people. See, see if like, you can get the ball rolling on that. Listen, if, if they see me at the door, they're going to be like, is this him? This is the reason you're coming home late? And she's like, no, 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 no. I, he's just a guy. And they're like, mm-hmm. And I'm going to charm your mom. Your dad's going to be jealous. And I don't want to get into all that. It's just, but I just wanted to leave you with something on a little bit higher note because we like to leave with a little call to action to have people kind of, you know, happy on the way out. We don't want to end on the, and then I was sad forever. <laughs> well, guys, thank you for tuning in. And like, we don't want to end like that. But we're actually going to wrap up the show now. Do you have anything you want to 
say to the people before we close everything out? Just thank you for listening. I appreciate um, having a platform to kind of talk about things. That's it? That's it. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in once again to the Unofficial Therapy Podcast. We're coming to you every week. Uh, Tell your friends, repost, tag, do all that good stuff. Thank you guys for listening and for supporting us. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.